your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development, covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox. Welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I'm your host, James Fox. Alongside us, we're getting closer to draft season. We have so much extended draft coverage for you coming up on SoxMachine.com and Future Sox. And of course, on the podcast, as you've been listening, today we are taking a break from the draft, at least a little bit, to talk to Bill Mitchell, our friend from Baseball America, who is responsible for putting together the White Sox top 30 list across the summer. And over time, we've learned so much thanks to Bill because it's so important to have somebody offer perspective who's been there, who's seen players, who gets information from other scouts. So we want to thank Bill for jumping back on. Bill, how are you? How have you been spending this season? What's it been like for you so far covering the White Sox and just all the trials and tribulations that you've faced so far this year? I've you know, a lot of teams that I have uh, to cover a lot of not just um, minor league teams. I do a lot of amateur and uh, preparing for the draft. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, two big college tournaments in town where I was uh, doing three or four games a day. And I haven't even gotten out of town this year yet. Uh, I've been so busy and other things coming up. So, uh, yeah, it's been busy. We've got Arizona League just started a week ago or a week and a half ago. And uh, that's that's going well so far. Other than they keep promoting all the best prospects, it seems. But uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot going on. Yeah, we talked to Ben Badler, a friend, uh, of course, as well at Baseball America, and he gave us the rundown of his schedule and hearing, you know, just off the air when we were talking to you about all the stuff that you have planned for the year. Being a scout, being an observer, being a baseball content creator is just nonstop. And I'd imagine you wouldn't want it any other way. Absolutely. It, Next week, we have the draft combine in town. They're doing that at Chase Field. I've never been to that, and I look forward to uh, seeing what it's all about. We're looking forward to following and reading and all of your coverage at BaseballAmerica.com. And, Bill, we wanted to talk to you today because, of course, there's an update to the Chicago White Sox Top 30 list, and we'll get into more uh, in-depth. We have a lot of players that we want to talk to you about, of course, more in-depth about the players that you've also seen in person around the Arizona area. And, I just want to start first with Colson Montgomery because we haven't seen him yet. Uh, what is it about his season so far? Is that concerning to you considering, you know, he hasn't played uh, real competition yet, I guess, in front of us this year? Yeah, we, I don't, he has not been in any official games, nor did he play in extended spring training games, if you want to, or minor league spring training games, uh, if you want to call those official games. Uh, it's got to be a little concerning. And you know, we outside the, White Sox organization are not getting the complete details. We know it's a mid-back strain, and I can't, I, I'm not an orthopedic doctor, so I won't even begin to speculate on what that means. But the fact that uh, here we are in the middle of June and he has not gotten into a game yet, that's got to be a little concerning. So it really depends on how much longer it goes. Uh, uh, again, uh, back injuries can be funky things. So uh, it's uh, definitely a cause for concern. So I know that White Sox general manager Rick Hahn has said that he's he's begun baseball activities, whatever that means. He's on the uh, the ACL roster, Bill. So it does seem like you know if he can work his way back here in the next month or so, like you could you'll probably get the chance to see him for a while. I would think because that's likely where he's going to go to report for at least a little bit. 
Yeah, I had heard that he's doing things on the field. Uh, it's during a time that uh, that's limited just to White Sox personnel, so uh, I can't say what he's doing. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I the first day of Arizona League, I saw his name on the roster, so I reached out to one of my front office contacts. I said, "Does that mean he's playing to start the season?" They said, "No, he's not ready yet." Uh, I know they're t- they're tired of me asking about when is he going to play, and you know, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And I. And I know they're frustrated, too, uh, that uh, here's their number one prospect and he hasn't been on the field. And again, we're getting close to halfway, not quite halfway through the season, but we've gone through a good chunk of the season already. Yeah, I think there's a very good chance that he'll, you know, as long as everything goes okay the rest of the year, he'll be one of the Arizona Fall League participants, I'm assuming. I think Chris Getz has kind of alluded to that, but I'd I'd be pretty surprised if that doesn't happen at this point. I hope it does because... uh, uh, that'll give a good look over six weeks of of seeing him, and it gets gives them a chance to make up time against yeah at least double A competition, which is what he's missing out on. Yeah, so the list up at the top, Bill, I you know like Brian Ramos and Oscar Colas. I think we've talked about an awful lot. I'm going to skip ahead. Number four prospect on the list, Noah Schultz. I know you know, I know you saw him briefly. What did you hear or see about Noah Schultz and his stuff like out in Arizona? What do the White Sox think the ceiling is? And honestly, like with, you know, with all that, did you like, did you consider ranking him second in this system ahead of those two guys that I just mentioned? Not yet, because we try not to juggle the uh, in-season updates too much as far as the rankings. And the fact that uh, when we sent this in or when I sent this in, he had really only pitched two innings of minor league ball. Uh, I did not get to see him this year because he didn't pitch in spring training. Uh, he finally got back during extended spring training, and the, I went out there. He was pitching like every Friday, uh, and I think it was one of you mentioned, oh, I think he's pitching on Friday, and I was out there that day and found out that he had pitched live batting practice uh, that day, and then I was hoping to see him the next Friday, but that's when I was wrapped into the Pac-12 tournament, and I just uh, I just couldn't get out there. And next thing I know, he's in Kannapolis instead of pitching in Glendale. But I did watch that game on uh, MLB or MILB TV, and I watched the highlights, kind of a condensed summary of his last outing. And uh, he's he's got the same stuff that I saw last uh, year. And you look at the numbers. Uh, I think his first game, he struck out five out of the the six outs that he got so uh yeah he's got the stuff and uh i don't know that you know we don't want to call him a number one starter but uh there's definitely he's more than a back of the rotation guy uh you know assuming the stuff keeps playing and he stays healthy and there you know he's still got a long way to go but uh i'm still high on him i know the white Sox are yeah that's great to hear and we hope that you get a chance to see him in person and we're going to be bugging you about uh, what you saw there as well over time. Noah Schultz is one of the most exciting prospects on the pitching side even most exciting prospects in the White Sox system period but related to the pitching side I want to bring you to Christian Mena because you know we've been asking you about him for a couple of years now and also monitoring his development we noticed that in the offseason he did gain weight and he added some velocity to his fastball. We know about his breaking ball that offered a lot of success to his season last year. But in your recent update in Baseball America in the top 30, you talked about his changeup. 
what's the significance of all the improvements that he's made regarding that pitch and how it helps his repertoire as, as just a pitcher in general. And as well, I mean, you look at the numbers, not exactly what we're looking for from a guy who really dominated last year statistically, but as a 20 year old pitching in Birmingham, I'd just love to know your thoughts on his year so far. Well, you've hit it right there. He's 20 years old pitching double A. There is going to be some inconsistent results. His strikeout rates are high. Now, with the Southern League and and talking to talent evaluators, scouts, it's a little harder to judge pitching there this year because they're using those pre-tacked baseballs. So uh, there's a little more uncertainty to, okay, how is this guy really looking? The big thing coming into this season, and even he started doing it last year, he was uh, curveball happy. And he needed to start using his fastball more. He had to go to his changeup. But a report that I got from a scout is that he's added a uh, cutter slash slider, whatever you want to call it. Uh, And I think that was something he was working on in the bullpen last year. So he's got the ability to learn new pitches. He's a very smart kid hard worker. We're not going to worry about his results right now. He's, just, he's 20 years old pitching in double A and he's he's doing okay. He just needs a lot more reps, improving his pitch mix and uh, just to get through the next couple of levels. Just to take you back a little bit, last year's draft class you know, we talked about Noah Schultz. It seems like the White Sox have placed an emphasis on adding you know, pitchers that they feel like have some upside to their system. In, in that class, they went Peyton Paulette, Jonathan Cannon, Tyler Schweitzer, all kind of right after Schultz. Um, All of those guys have moved up on the Baseball America list. What are your thoughts on their seasons so far? And then I guess any just like surprises for you out of those three? When I started making uh, scout calls, uh, especially to uh, scouts from other from organizations uh, that had uh, that cover the the two leagues in Carolina, uh, the name that kept coming up was Jonathan Cannon. That uh, how much better he looked this year. Uh, he's uh, the velocity has ticked up. He holds it deep into his starts. Uh, so that was the guy. That was why he jumped well into the top ten and and leapfrogged a couple of the other pitchers. Uh, gets good angle on his fastball, uh, repeats his delivery. Uh, his cutter breaks bats. Um, right now, he's more of a t- two-seamer change-up pitcher now, so uh, he needs to keep working on the breaking balls. But uh, I had one scout say, hey, you know, maybe he could be a Lance Lynn type. Not necessarily, you know, the same pitcher as Lance Lynn, but somebody that gets by primarily on two pitches. So, uh, uh, you know, he's a big, strong kid. Uh, I think there's a lot to like about John Cannon. Uh, Peyton Paulette, we still have to figure he's coming off, still coming off TJ. While he was in the same draft class as those guys, uh, he really didn't start pitching until spring training of this year. Uh, there's some things to like about him, and there's a reason he was uh, a possible first rounder coming, you know, had he not had Tommy John. Uh, gets a lot of spin on his curveball. He's kind of slight. You know, the build was that he had coming out of college, the same kind of build as Walker Bueller. So there's always concern that uh, needs to get stronger so he can hold his velocity deeper into games. But, uh, you know, there's a lot to like there. They wouldn't have taken him up there. Schweitzer, he's older for the level, uh, but he's performing. We're going to call him more of a high high floor, low ceiling kind of guy with a big toolbox of pitches. Uh, They like to say, yeah, he's got four pitches, but I've had scouts say, well, there's probably five or six in there, just some of the variations he gets. So uh, a back of the rotation guy or long-term, a spot starter, long reliever, but you know, he pitches, he's got plenty of confidence on his mound, uh, throws strikes, which is important. And his fastball has life. So that's those three that, uh, 
really have done pretty well this year so far. And then, you know, just another guy that you've mentioned in the past, same draft class, Shane Murphy. He, you know, he's from Arizona, out by you, um, was another John Kazanis guy. He's been pretty successful in low A. I think it's like 45 innings pitched. He's averaging over 10 strikeouts per nine. Just any anything on him? And had you known much about him, I guess, pre-draft last year? Just what I got from some of the area scouts here that uh, he really wanted to sign. Uh, yeah, he's doing well. Um, right now, we weren't ready. And, you know, in talking to my White Sox contacts, and not quite ready to put him on the top 30, but uh, one to keep an eye on. Uh, he uh, He's a big left-hander, a big, strong left-hander. He's a couple years away from Tommy John now uh, and hasn't quite gotten back to velocity-wise where where he they expect him to be. So uh, it's a wait on C on, on Murphy. Bill, I want to take you to a couple of position players, and maybe we haven't done our job at Future Sox paying attention to one of these two players as close as we maybe should have, is Wilfred Veras. Proved that he was able to handle among very few uh, in Project Birmingham last year, getting his first taste and hit pretty well. And now this year doing exceptional, I think, from our point of view. And you ranked him at 12 on the list. And now Terrell Tatum as well at 13, making a massive leap following what we're seeing in a successful stint in advance day right now. What do you like about Wilfred Veras and Terrell Tatum uh, so far this year among your evaluations? Well, one thing I'll say about uh, the ranking on, on these two guys is, you know, that the the system, the White Sox system is not very strong. So we have two guys that are healthy, which is something that uh, we've talked about all the players that have been hurt this year and they're performing. So uh, we felt that that needed, you know, that deserved going up a little higher on the rankings. Uh, Virus changed positions last fall during instructional league, went to the outfield from corner infield. Uh, he's never going to be a great outfielder, but uh, you know the bat should be able to play. The big question mark we have for him longer term is how will he handle better velocity when he gets to it? Uh, he, he's good at handling the slider, but uh, will he be able to catch up to good velocity? And we won't know that until he starts facing it more often. Tatum, I, I love Tatum. Uh, he's, uh, he's gotten stronger. Uh, he's probably a fourth outfielder profile, but if he gets to the big leagues and is a fourth outfielder, that's fine. Um, he uh, he's I've, I've gotten both plus and plus plus grades on his speed gets on base. Uh, you've noticed his on base percentage uh, is is very high uh, and that gives him a chance to take advantage of that speed. And he's got some good doubles power in, in game. So uh, that's uh, he, he's one. I'm really glad he's doing well. Uh, I don't know if you read the Washington Post article from about a month or so ago uh, where they were writing about the with the new rules in in baseball, how it was helping base stealers and returning base stealing to, to the game. And the player they featured most was Terrell Tatum. So if you haven't seen that, go uh, search that on Washington post and take a trial subscription or whatever you need to do to read it. Cause it was a really good article. Kind of sticking to theme here, going in order. Ryan Burroughs is a guy is very interesting last year in the Dominican summer league from Panama. He was, you know, I think a little bit better than a lot of people, you know, expected just because of the bonus amount. We had kind of talked to you about him in the past. I think he's maybe one of the highlights of that team out in Arizona. What are, uh, what are scouts saying about Ryan Burroughs who's out in Arizona right now? And I didn't get too many reports until he started playing Arizona League. And then a few reports came in from scouts. You know, he's a tall, lanky kid, athletic, uh, good infield actions. There is physical projection, so you could see more power. 
He's got good bat speed and hand strength. So uh, I had one scout put on. He's a potential average power combo. So if you get that out of a shortstop, somebody who can play shortstop, uh, that's a that, that's a good regular. And you know, maybe a year from now, we're talking about him being a top ten prospect. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> so a guy a guy that I found interesting, Bill, last year covering the draft. I always really look at that. 11th, 12th round area for guys that teams decide to overslot there. The White Sox decided to take Jacob Burke out of Miami. They paid him $225,000, which I think is in line with like maybe like a seventh, seventh round money, I believe. So, you know, that just, that caught my interest. I talked to the kid this off season and very confident kid um, published an article on our website. It's just a guy that I've been a fan of. He he's been pretty good in Canapolis. He cracked your list at twenty. What is uh, your scouting report? What can you tell us about Jacob Burke out of Miami? Yeah, and he got there late. He had uh, let's see a lower back inflammation. So uh, a couple of the scouts that I talked to hadn't seen him because they covered Canapolis early, but they were making a note to get back in to see him because they're looking at the numbers and they're great. Uh, but uh, he keeps and, and this has probably been read. You've probably read this. You've probably written this many times. He keeps getting Adam Angle comps for the type of outfielder he could be. Uh, and I, I'm sure with you guys and all your listeners, I don't need to explain what an Adam Angle comp means. Uh, but um, you know, the the bats really playing in in Canapolis, uh, which I, I think is very in- interesting. He's got a real aggressive approach at the plate, which. Uh, could be beneficial as he gets higher or it could give him troubles if he's too aggressive. But uh, the reports I am getting is that, uh, you know, he plays hard and it's his defense uh, and his work ethic and his grinding on the field. that's going to move him up. He looks to be an above average defender. So uh, that's good. I don't, I don't remember how we ranked Adam Angle. Uh, how many years ago I ranked him on the pioneer league prospect list. Uh, and there were questions with him with the bat and you know, he, he hit well enough to get to the big leagues and have a pretty nice career. There's no I in team, but there is one in indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites, searching for candidates with the right skills, indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash blue wire sports offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at indeed.com slash blue wire sports. That's indeed.com slash blue wire sports and support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast indeed.com slash blue wire sports terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed. James had a chance to talk to Jacob Burke. Reading the quotes from Burke suggests that he's got a lot of confidence and you love to see it. And he's backing it up in his first full professional season. So appreciate the scouting report there. I want to hear your opinion on Jared Kelly. This is a pitcher that went over slot in in the year that they took him in 2020 in the second round. White Sox were aggressive in getting the prep arm. He's working in a piggyback role uh, somewhat now in advanced A your evaluation of where Jared Kelly is in his career and what is it about not starting that's allowed him to have a little bit more success at the professional level? Since I started doing the White Sox report three years ago or their prospect list, 
uh, scouts from out other organizations have always said, I think he's going to wind up in the bullpen. And I know the White Sox have continued to develop him as a starter. Uh, and the piggyback role, I think, probably ties into that too. But uh, I am I believe that the, the bullpen projection for him is even stronger now. Uh, and, you know, his stuff can play up. Uh, he um, he's been working on a slider more because I, I talked to scouts that said, Hey, changeup was his best pitch, but he hardly used it. And that's by design. He's working on, on a slider, getting that better. Biggest issue is his fastball command still isn't there. So still a bit of a mystery on Jared Kelly and what they really have with him. Bill, we've talked a lot about last year's draft class and it, you know, it's kind of tough to rank this soon, right? I think you need you need multiple years to kind of decide what the draft class is, but you know, at least strategically I think it, it looks pretty good and they've you know they've made some gains with some of these guys. Eric Adler of Wake Forest, he's posted a 104 ERA with I think it's 16 uh Ks per nine and you know he's not walking that many guys in the low minors. How how good can Eric Adler be if they can get his command harnessed here a little bit? The projection I've always heard is probably not a somebody you're going to look at as a closer uh, because he's not going to have the command to handle that role. But you know, certainly a back of the bullpen, eighth inning type of guy. If uh, again he keeps uh, uh, keeps throwing strikes, uh, you know, we're looking at a small sample so far. I think uh, what he's got something like nine innings so far, uh, and it's it's a positive sign that he's only walked three batters. I think that was yeah, three batters. So. And we're just going to keep uh, monitoring him, see how the rest of his season goes. But he has some electric stuff. And if it clicks for him, it's uh, he's somebody that could move quickly. I think a guy that, Bill, I think you were the first one that told me about Yohimi Nolasco when, you know, scouts thought he was pretty decent in either extended spring training or somewhere where they saw him, you know, they thought he was one of the best arms on that, you know, that team at that time in Arizona, he was starting at the time. Now he's a 19 year old that's pitching out of the bullpen in Canapolis. He's been decent in 15 innings. What can you uh, tell us about him? Well, it, it is interesting. I, uh, and I think we probably talked about this one other time is uh, I happened to be there in his first ex uh, extended spring training game in the States last year. And uh, one of their international coordinators, Louis Silverio was there and he, came over and he told me, he said, Hey, we just brought this guy up. And he told me a little bit about him and, and he looked good. And he, you know, had some good outings in Arizona league last year, but, uh, still pretty young. He went back to extended spring this year until they brought him up to Kannapolis. Uh, the fact that he's throwing multi innings here, I think that still looks like you develop him as a starter and you've got to get him the work to build up his strength and to build up his, uh, build up his arm strength and, uh, to, uh, give him enough work to continue to develop his pitches, but uh, he is still very skinny. The, you know, and that was uh, what Louie told me last year. He said, he's built like Tristan McKenzie. Now uh, you could say, okay, he's going to get stronger. He's going to put on weight and that 96 mile per hour, per hour fastball could get up to the high nineties. Uh, and, you know, we, we hope that that's what's going to happen with them. But um, I've been watching Tristan McKenzie since high school uh, then in rookie ball and through the uh, Indian slash guardian system. And he's kind of still got the same basic frame, but he's turned into a good pitcher. So, you know, where uh, Nalaska's body goes, that's, uh, that's anybody's guess. Um, but yeah, his fastball has been 93 to 96, I think touching 97. 
uh, slider has good depth and he's, he's gotten more confident with it. So uh, I think now that he's been in the States for a little more than a year, uh, you're seeing him start to blossom perhaps. Bill, I think I heard, you know, I think somebody mentioned CJ Edwards for him too. Like, just you know, I thought about that like one a, when a I similar, last night you know. too. Yes. <laughs> and he wound up uh, in the bullpen. So, uh, you know, whatever role best fits him, I think he's going to be a contributor at some point. But he's only 19, so let's give him time, right? Yeah, Absolutely, exactly. and that's that's where we're at kind of with a lot of these guys, Bill. And it's actually refreshing to see the White Sox commit to the number of prep players in recent drafts and, of course, in the international market as well. I'm sure we'll get to that um, at some point in this interview, but I want, I want to focus on a prep product that's been in the White Sox system since 2019, and people sort of forget that this player has been in the White Sox system for this long, and that's DJ Gladney. And he turns 23, no, excuse me, 22 in July of this year. And finally, it seems like it's all starting to click. We know the White Sox are very high on DJ Gladney. What are some updates that you can provide on the athletic um, power hitter? Well, and I will admit, like a lot of people following the White Sox, I had written them off as a prospect probably two years ago because it just looked like there was always going to be too much swing and miss that he was never going to have the hit tool to get to his power. And I, I saw him hit some really nice home runs. You guys have been to their field one, uh, their primary backfield on uh, at Glendale. So you know the scoreboard down the left field line. I remember him hitting one that went well over that scoreboard. It was a couple of years ago, probably when he was in rookie ball. So he has had that impressive raw power for a while. What I found out about him this time and in talking to scouts and people in the White Sox organization is how good his makeup is. And he's really improved himself through hard work. He's a great teammate. Uh, the big thing is um, he's not chasing out of the zone as much. Uh, still a little bit on breaking balls, but not as much as he was before. And he's making better swing decisions. So his strikeout rate has dropped from, uh, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he was probably close to like, more around 35% or so last year. And I think it's down to, I'm going to guess around 25%. So uh, that's, you know, that's a very positive sign. And one more player, Bill, if you don't mind, uh, we're talking, you know, some of these it, kind of vast differences in, in pathway here is Brooks Baldwin. I want to talk to you about Brooks Baldwin is four year college athlete. Um, he's 22 again, turns 23 this year. What do you like about Brooks Baldwin? And or, I guess, what, what can you tell us about the player? Yeah, he's a good guy to put in number 30 on, on a prospect list uh, uh, just to re, you know kind of reward the guy for what he is and what he does. He's just a ball player, uh, a grinder that can play a lot of positions, switch hitter. Uh, he's got baseball bloodlines. His uh, dad, I think it was his dad, played in the Indian system. Uh, and he's got an uncle, I believe, that was a, a college coach. So he's been around the game. Uh, he's just uh, one of these utility guys that you know, coaches love to have because they can plug him in any position if you need to. But, you know, there's a little bit with the bat uh, that, that you can watch for. Uh, I think especially from the, uh, the uh, you know, what my notes said, uh, I think around the left side, uh, he's a little bit better. And I'll tell you one thing I saw him do in extended spring training. Uh, now, granted, this guy was rehabbing, maybe wasn't at his best, but uh, in a game against the Dodgers, he took Tony Gonsolin deep uh, in uh, an extended spring training game. So, hey, that's something. Bill, I know you're out in Arizona. How are you surprised at all by like West Cath's struggles and just how kind of tough this has been for him? How, how much did you see him as an amateur out there? 
I saw him quite a bit as an amateur. Uh, you know, I've, I've met, in fact, I met him uh, somewhat or in this off season. Nice kid. I know his signing scout, you know, John Kazan as well. I know the area scouts that uh, that, that scouted him when he was uh, in high school. Uh, you know, I saw him slam a home run in his final high school at bat in the state tournament. Uh, the, you know, there's still questions with the bat and whether it's ever going to come around, but on a positive side, you know, scouts who were ready to write him off before are saying, you know, they saw a little more flexibility in the body and they think he's improved enough defensively at third base that they're no longer saying that he needs to move to first base. They're seeing a third baseman there. So if he, uh, you know, he worked hard on his defense, uh, maybe you know, in another year, we'll be saying the same thing about what he's done uh, with the bat. But, uh, you know, again, he's still relatively young. We give him time. Bill, your insight is so valuable. And I want to ask you just a broad question because, you know, seeing these players that we don't have access to in Arizona is, is so informative for us. And you know, we were off the air the last time we had you on our podcast and you were just gushing about all of the names in the international class that you were able to get an eye on. Are there players that we should be paying closer attention to that you like that kind of stuck out to you as you've seen them in person? And it could be anybody. There's one guy who I didn't know anything about until uh, extended spring training. And I had a couple scouts say, Hey, yeah, this guy, this kid's going to hit. Uh, his name is Guillermo Rodriguez. Uh, middle infielder. Actually, I've seen him play third base too. Uh, I don't know that he stays at shortstop. I'm going to say that he's got a Gene Segura body, and I think you'll understand what it's got. You know what I'm I'm talking about. But uh, if he can't stay at shortstop, second base, third base, but uh, the hit tool is nice. Uh, that's the guy that was new to me this year. A couple guys that I saw in instructs last year: Godwin Bennett. We know he can hit. We're, we're not sure of his position. Uh, and Arxy Hernandez, and I want to see more of him. I haven't seen enough. I haven't seen him at all this year. Uh, it seemed they had so many players at uh, at extended spring, and I saw them maybe four times, but I always seemed to see the same bunch. So I didn't see Arxy Hernandez. I think I only saw Godwin Bennett once. I didn't see Arnold Prado, who was one that uh, we kind of had a, you know on the watch list from last year. So there are some interesting guys, and uh, uh, hopefully within the next week or so, I'll get to, to see the rookie ball team again. Bill, you mentioned some of the college tournaments and just some of the other draft guys. I know we've been doing a ton of draft coverage on the show. The White Sox are picking at 15. Who are, uh, who are some of the better guys in this, in this pretty good draft class that, uh, that you've seen out there? Here in Arizona, we had uh, we have a Grand Canyon, Jacob Wilson, who I see him oftentimes in mock drafts and, and lists being a top 10 pick. I've had some scouts say, yeah, maybe not that high. He's definitely a first rounder. So, uh, you know, there's somebody that could be there at 15 uh, for the White Sox. Uh, ASU, uh, their second baseman, um, Keishol, who transferred from San Francisco, had a real good season. I usually see him slotted like a... Uh, possible second round pick. Um, the guy that really did well during the Pac-12 tournament, and I think has uh, imp improved his stock enough to move into the first round is Chase Davis uh, from uh, University of Arizona. You know, you look at his numbers, and of course, we can't go much with college numbers too, especially in the Pac-12 where the offensive numbers are inflated. Um, but, you know, he hit like one home run for every 10 at bats. Uh, and he plays, you know, primarily, I think, played left field for them maybe some right field, uh, but uh, I see him maybe going towards the back end of the first round. 
So those are some of the local guys. Um, I haven't gotten out as much as I did last year to see uh, other college guys. Like last year, I took a trip to see Brooks Lee. And then uh, we had Jace Young come through and play a game, two game series, Texas Tech against Grand Canyon. So I got to see those guys. I did see some other ones, the early season tournament. Tennessee was here uh, early in the season. And I got to see Chase Dollander, who... Uh, at the time, he was like going to be a number one or two, possibly. Now it's more like eh, he's a top 10 pick, but uh, probably not um, among the, the top ones. Uh, the guy that I really miss seeing, I wanted to see, was uh, Ahuna, the shortstop from Tennessee. Because, and I, I, I don't want to censor the NCAA, but I thought uh, the, there was some procedural thing and when they were recruiting him. Nothing that it was the fault of the kid, I don't believe. But, you know, here's the first weekend of the series, games on TV, uh, on national TV, and they suspend Ahuna for the first uh, for the first weekend. And his family had already planned to come in from Hawaii, already bought the tickets because that was going to be the closest he could come. So uh, but I'm hearing anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm babbling on here about my uh, rant against the NCAA and their. Uh, how they apply the rules. Uh, Ahuna, he, uh, he uh, from what I could see him taking infield and batting practice, yeah, he's probably a first rounder too. Bill, before we let you go, really great insight. Really appreciate the time and everything. I want to ask you about Kansas City and the Royals. I, I, I can't help myself. I hear negative things about their infrastructure regarding pitching development. Has that changed since the last time we talked? And how, how are the Royals doing in their organization? There certainly has been an improvement with a lot of pitchers uh, who struggled last year, struggled throwing strikes. Uh, there are a number of pitchers who were really on the upswing. Uh, Noah Cameron is one who's uh, now that uh, Drew Waters has uh, graduated and Michael Garcia has graduated, uh, both uh, Noah Cameron and An Anthony Veneziano have uh, moved into their top 10. Uh, and they were like, Cameron was in the 20s before Veneziano was on the list, off the list, and uh, now back on. Uh, Alec Marsh is doing better. So, yeah, their system, uh, their pitching is getting better. Uh, it's, uh, you know, one of the reasons their system isn't as deep as it used to, used to be. You look at how many players they have promoted uh, in the uh, last two years. Uh, you know, we've probably had a dozen players that have dropped off the uh, – prospect list because they are no longer eligible. They're up in the big leagues. Prado, Melendez, uh, Witt, uh, Michael Massey, Michael Garcia, Kyle Isbell. There's a, there's, I know there's more names, but uh, they're doing okay. There's still some question marks, but uh, they're on the right track now again. Well, if I said I'm happy to hear that, I'd be lying. Bill, thanks so much for your time and everything that you do for us and everything you do for the baseball fan at Baseball America. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me on here. That was Bill Mitchell of Baseball America providing us all the information. And look, James, it's so important to have somebody there watching guys. And then if you can't make it, learn from those who do see these players on a day-to-day -day basis and understand what they're going through, what they're working on. So love the conversation. You know, I wanted to get to something and ask you, since we did hit on the draft before we wrapped up the podcast, is the 2020 season regarding COVID and how many players ultimately gained another year of eligibility and stayed and delayed their progression towards the draft. And now we're seeing it in 2023. I hear it from you. I hear it from the experts that we talk about that this draft class is loaded, especially in the first round. We see it across the top 10. 
Can you tell me a little bit more about the significance of that 2020 season and how it's impacted 2023's draft? Yeah, so I think the most significant part is just the fact that there was only five rounds. So teams only had so much money, right? So there weren't as many teams like overpaying prep talent like in the second and third rounds because you just like weren't able to. Like you just like literally didn't have the money to offer. So that's where some of like the White Sox interest in a guy like Yohandi Morales comes in from Miami. Like that was a guy who, you know, they showed a lot of interest in, right? But then you get to draft day and decide to draft Garrett Crochet and they they did a $3 million overslot bonus for Jared Kelly. And like, that's pretty much all of your money, right? Now, could they have done that and taken Yo-Yo Morales instead? Like, I guess so, but that's a guy that, that ends up in school. Dylan Cruz, you know, the, the guy who everybody thinks should go number one in this draft was a big time high school player, you know, who just, he didn't get his top 10 money and he went to school. So yes, like there's a lot of guys who like you've talked about who have transferred around and they will benefit. But a lot of it's just like th- this college class is loaded because of the number of high school players in 2020 that ended up making it to campus instead of signing as high school guys. Like the thing that's very unusual, I guess about this draft is like the number of college shortstops and they won't all stay at shortstop. And as we have like our next few shows in the lead up to the draft, you know, you have Jacob Wilson of grand Canyon's a guy that bill mentioned, you know, there's also Jacob Gonzalez of Mississippi, who's one of the better players in the draft class, Matt Shaw of Maryland and Tommy Troy of Stanford. You know, we have profiles of those players up on the future Sox website, just because they're both kind of in range for the white Sox, I believe. So, I mean, that's four college shortstops that all could go in the first round. And it's just like, not something that you normally see. Usually teams do focus on shortstops and center fielders, but a lot of those guys sign out of high school because the money is like generally there for them to sign. And then even like a, you know, Kyle Teal, the catcher out of Virginia, I think could end up going as high as number six to Oakland. You know, he was a big time prep catching prospect that just didn't have the money, you know, afforded to him to sign. So, yeah, I think, I think that's the most interesting thing about this class and then just why the college class is so deep, like up at the top of it, essentially. The draft is upcoming. few episodes left before we do our live show, Future Socks and Socks Machine. Looking forward for all of you to join us. I want all of you to be in the section giving us questions, and we're going to have guests on the show. I'm looking forward to that. James working really hard, of course, on coordinating the prospect profiles that may land at number 15. If you go to SoxMachine.com and check out the Future Socks tab, we'll have all the layouts for you on the names that could fall to 15 to the Chicago White Sox. Can't wait for all the coverage we have guests lined up on the next few episodes of the podcast regarding draft conversation so you the white Sox fan we got you covered on what's to come because look man the white Sox, i hate it i hate it they keep losing every time i think they're going to be good again they just fall back to reality and i guess reality is james 10 under 500 i mean are they ever going to escape this hell i don't believe so i (laughs) i I don't i just like don't think they're going to get back to 500 so yeah, it's uh, you know, yeah, it's just you know, looking forward to that draft show. You know, the right, right at the top of that draft show, like one of the things I'm looking forward to is to see the reaction of 
Jack McMullen when the Pirates decide not to take Dylan Cruz. So <laughs> I'm choosing choosing violence. So I, I hope you can join us for that, the listener. And and you, the listener, thank you for being such a supporter of the Future Sox podcast. Become a patron on Sox Machine if you're if you're able to. We we do it for you. So thank you for the support. And uh, if you have any questions, I, I pitch this every week, futuresocks at gmail.com. Send us whatever you want to hear us talk about on the episode. For Bill Mitchell and for James Fox, my name is Mike Rankin. Thanks so much for listening to the Future Socks podcast. Hey, we release two different episodes. One, the Future Socks Roundup. We cover performances across the White Sox affiliate. We've dropped that on the weekend. So if you haven't listened to an episode of that yet, check out the latest one. And, of course, the Future Sox podcast with James Fox and I as we drop every Tuesday. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you all next week.